The Writer's Journey. It's an ocean of experiences and choices that shape and define its path. From childhood, the feel of the pencil in hand as it touches notebook paper, the scent of books at a school book fair, or the hero or heroine of a story that ignites imagination and adventure can propel the writer to take this journey. The desire to know a character leads a writer to make choices that ultimately connect the writer to the page. Like the stars in the sky that seem to float independent of each other, there is a connectivity that forms a constellation. The same is true of a character's journey, but it's also true of the writer's. What connects the light tells the story. On this episode of The Writer's Constellation, we are joined by author, teacher, and entrepreneur Raquel Henry. Well known amongst Central Florida writers, Raquel began as a writer who launched her own literary journal, Black Fox Literary Magazine. Looking for ways to nurture the careers of other writers, she founded Writers Atelier, that is a unique writing studio that fosters new talent through classes, workshops, and publishing. Raquel represents how today's working writer utilizes varied paths to create the writing life. Okay, welcome Raquel. Hi, thank you, well, Francis. Thanks. I'm I'm excited to have you. Um, as our listeners heard in our introduction, you've done all kinds of interesting things along this writing journey and so many more things to come. But for our listeners who might not know who you are, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and we'll talk about your beginnings as a writer. So um, I'm the founder of the writing studio, Writers Atelier in Winter Park. Um, And first and foremost, I'm a writer. Um, I really started writing very early when I was actually when I could hold a pen. Um, (laughs) I started reading when I was two years old. That's what my mother tells me. And uh, from that point, I just kind of fell in love with words and language and books. And and I've been obsessed with books ever since. Um, uh, And then I used to write my own stories when I was a kid um, uh, about all kinds of things, farm life. I don't know why I wanted a farm. And I had golden retrievers, because I, I wanted a golden retriever at the time. Um, and I would tell these adventure stories of a girl with her golden retriever on a farm. <laughs> yeah. And and then I would uh, illustrate the stories on construction paper and tie them together with yarn. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and make these, like, little storybooks. And so um, I always, I guess I sort of deep down knew I wanted to be a writer, uh, from an early age, and then it was my uh, fifth grade teacher who said that I had a way with words. He told my mother that, and he was the one who really got it into my brain that you know maybe I could be a writer. And uh, I remember picking up a book at the you know those little scholastic book fairs, right? Uh, and it was by Phyllis Naylor. Uh, and it was like, I think it was titled How I, I still have it, it's uh, How I Came to Be a Writer. And I think that was pretty much it. It was after that, I was, I just, I, I, I knew, I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And now it would take lots of years of denial 
because I did deny it for many years, uh, you know, growing up and in school and things like that all the way through college. Um, but I sort of always had a deep down understanding that that's what I wanted to do, even though I would sort of try to deny it. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Because I think that's a common feeling for a lot of writers is that they have a, a hard time coming to grips with the fact that this is the path that that is their life calling. Well, I think it was partially society and then, you know, uh, external family members. So family members who were not uh, in my immediate circle, like my, what do you call that? Your uh, extended family Mm -hmm. that would say that you couldn't make any money as a writer. And that's kind of the idea I had in my head is that even though I had this passion or love for writing, I kind of felt like deep down I wouldn't be able to make any money doing it. So it would be something that I loved and just kind of did on the side. I needed to have another job. Uh, I was in, when I went to college, I was a pre-optometry major. (laughs) Don't ask. (laughs) And I thought, because, you know, even at that young age, like I still thought I was going to be like Dr. Raquel Henry. Which you still could uh, you know, be. Right. And, and and like I said, you know, I loved I loved writing, but I thought I had to do something else along with it. So it was like, yes, you're going to be a writer, but maybe you should just be a doctor, you know, because that will make you money and then you can, you know, write on the side. And, you know, I went into college and I thought, you know, the surgery thing is not really my, <laughs> it's not really my thing. I don't think I could cut anyone open and like this the mere sight of all that blood just you know I don't think I could handle it and uh so my mom had a friend who was studying to be an optometrist and she said you just can go you can go to school and you can even major in English and you and afterwards then you go on to like focus on the optometry stuff and she said there is no like um extensive class on you know, dissecting the human body and and then things like that. Uh, it's mostly a focus on the eye. So I thought, wow, that might be the way I become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and on top of that, I wear glasses. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> Surely I can help other people <laughs> um, who, uh, you know, who need glasses and it would be sort of helping uh, and not like, you know, one of those like, kind of, you know, those empty professions where you don't feel like you're doing anything. Right. And so I said, yes, this is it. I'm going to be a (laughs) pre-optometrist. Wow. And, uh, that didn't last very long. (laughs) I was, uh, in, in school thinking I was, uh, I remember I was in gen chem, general chemistry. I had to take uh, pre-calc trig and pre-calc algebra, and I was, I just struggled. I was struggling with those classes. And uh, I remember being in English class and just like loving it. Like the time would go by so quickly. And so it, my 1101 teacher, uh, I'll never forget her, Mary Jasoni. I have tried to track her down, but I can't seem to track her down. So if you're lit. Yeah, somebody listening might know who she is. Yes, if you're listening, Miss Jasoni. Um, she pulled me aside and she said, uh, 
I remember so we had to take these diagnostic assays. Sorry, I'm like all over the place, but uh, we had to take these diagnostic assays and she handed everyone their paper back. Like she handed them out. And, and when she got to me, she said, see me after class. She did not give me my paper. So of course I'm thinking, oh dear God, she's going to put me in remedial. She's, I don't, I'm not ready for 1101. And now mind you, this is after I'd already taken AP English and decided to still pursue uh, taking 1101. Like I was like, nah, I'm just going to go look at the, the Getting credits transferred is such a nightmare. So I'm like, I'm not going to go through that process and I'm just going to, you know, take the class. And uh, my AP teacher was really tough on me. She was really hard on me. And I honestly, like, I thought that was a point where I thought, you know, maybe I can't be a writer. Uh, and I think that's even part of the, that was fed into like the, the lack of confidence, you know, going in and like having the credits transferred. I thought, you know, maybe I should just go ahead and take, take you know, just take the class to make sure I have everything, you know. And uh, the teacher, wh- what did she say? So she, she pulled me aside outside, pulled me aside outside of the classroom and said, I just wanted to hand this back to you because you're the only person that got a perfect score. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't give anybody else a perfect score. What is your background? You know, and I told her AP, you know, I took AP classes, blah, 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 blah. And she said, well, she said, what, what are you majoring in? So then I said, pre-optometry. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, why? <laughs> so I said, I don't know. I didn't really, you know, I, mean, I didn't really have an answer. Like, I, I just, like, I wanted to be a doctor. I, I don't know. I, I didn't have a full, you know, a fully formed answer for her. And she said, you know, I don't want to, like, dissuade you from from anything you're doing, but I really think you should think about changing your major in English because you have a natural, you know, a natural voice, like writing voice. Which is and very hard you... to define. It's, it's, right, it's hard right. to teach. It's hard to define. Right. Um, and so, you know, I thought about it about, you know, I, I took, I kept thinking about that the entire semester and it would take me another full semester because I would change again to like pre-law thinking, okay, I could be, do law. I could be a lawyer because that's involving words and writing. Um, and I would change the following semester to law. And then by the end of the semester realize, cause I had another professor who, who also, you know, would praise my writing the end of that spring semester, I would finally change to English with a creative writing emphasis as my major because I couldn't deny it anymore that, like, I loved writing. And this <laughs> uh, was the path. Yeah, this was the path. And, I, and I'm just, you know, denying what it is I really want to do and what I really love. It was always so easy to me. The, the, the sciences and the maths were very difficult classes for me. And English was just easy and natural. And, and I said, why am I trying to struggle and kill myself with these other classes that don't make sense? And, uh, and that was it. You know, uh, I started taking creative writing classes. Uh, Professor Mark McCain, who now teaches at Full Sail, would be my first creative writing teacher uh, and the first to lay the groundwork and uh, just fully enjoyed his class. Um, were you I mean, writing clock... 
short stories and novels and poetry? Short, uh, so at that time, in those classes, it's you really don't have time for a novel. Um, so mostly short fiction, short nonfiction, or poetry. And his class was a survey class. It was more like a, here's the intro, to, like a narrative, you know, like, um, here's, here's the introduction to uh, creative writing. Here's how you write a poem. Here's how you write a short story, that kind of thing. These are the elements. Um, and I was hooked. I mean, after that, I was just like, man, what fun. Like, this, this is just pure fun. Like, it doesn't even feel like work. Uh, and, and then I thought to myself, you know, I'd figure out the money situation later. Um, I still kind of, I kept a double major. So I, I was a criminology major as well. I have a second degree in criminology, but that was always like, oh, this is, I always, I'm always the backup person. Like, you should have a backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so after, after you graduated, did you go straight into your <clears throat> MFA? Uh Sort of, and that that was that's a, a little, a slightly complicated story. So, I took technically I took a year off, but I technically did not. Uh, I paid out of pocket for a class <clears throat> at USF, uh, where I had uh, this is another professor who had a, who influenced me, uh, Dr. John Fleming. He's still at USF, and. Uh, he was my, he, I had him for English, uh, now it's getting foggy, but I think English three. And then I went on to take a graduate level course with him and I hadn't gotten into the program yet or applied. I was just kind of like, let me maybe rest the semester. And then, you know, I would, I would start grad school. Uh, I didn't want to take too much time off just cause that's how I am. I'm like, full fled like full force ahead because if I if I take a break I might get lazy were you um, already starting like in between your undergrad and before you started the grad school were you already starting to feel that you knew who you were becoming as a writer in terms of genre no oh god no 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 I, I still I still sometimes don't even feel like who I am I think that's an that could potentially be an everlasting battle, um, which we can talk about more later. But um, I did know that I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to pursue write, something involving writing. Um, and so that's why I decided to take that class. I just paid for it out of pocket and I thought, oh, it would look really great if, you know, I've already started this class that's re required for the program, but I'm not fully, you know, in it. Well, it turns out they rejected me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, USF rejected me. World, do you hear that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I actually, I love USF, and actually that was the best decision, you know, that uh, they could have made for me because I, I honestly would have gone there had they accepted me. But that would have been comfortable. Um, and actually, um, the letter was from Rita Ceresi, who is a department head there. And she said in her letter that the school actually prefers if students go out, like spread their wings and branch out and not attend the same 
institution where they got their undergraduate degree from. And, you know, at the time I was, I felt like slightly hurt. Right. Well, <laughs> of course. It, I'm like, you know, I'm like, this is a program that, you know, I was in like, and you guys rejected me. But, you know, in retrospect, I think about it and I'm like, that was the best thing. I mean, if I didn't go to Fairleigh Dickinson, I would not have met my critique partners and I probably would not have started the magazine and all the wonderful people that I know now. And before we uh, get to that, sure, you, let's just uh, clarify, you went to Fairleigh Dickinson for your MFA. Correct. Okay. Yep. Fairleigh Dickinson University in uh, Madison, New Jersey, and it was a low grads program. And I have no regrets. <laughs> um, I love, I loved everything about the program. And it made me, I mean, it was honestly, it was there that I realized that I wanted to be an editor. Um, like I knew early on, I wanted to be a writer. But it was at Fairleigh Dickinson University that I discovered that I might be able to do this editing thing. Um, we used to have uh, critique groups, and the part that I loved the most was when I would give feedback and people would say, wow, that really helped me, or uh, they figured something out with their story. Uh, and this, like being in that... Uh, environment would also inspire me starting the writing studio later on because I didn't have any writing friends around here and I wanted to have that same experience all the time and so here we are and MFA <laughs> programs can be like that they're they can be very magical they can be for a writer like going to Hogwarts you're surrounded right. by all these people who do all these magical things on the page and you go, exactly. wow, I'm in the company of all these people. And it it does. It, it It's the beginning of all of these new friends, new critique partners, new inspiration, new ways of thinking. Sure. And, and so this is where I think your story gets really interesting. Because um, when I first heard of your writing studio, and I and let me say for the listeners, I not only like get to know Raquel professionally she's my friend and so I <laughs> get to know you and I just think you're such a generous person um with what the studio does and, and there's just so many things that the studio does but I I've been living in Orlando for 20 years and thought that there just there was definitely a literary community but it to me it felt like it was maybe small it was a, it was affiliated with some of the colleges and universities if you were in that scene then you might have entree into what was going on there but it's we live in a really spread out area anyway it's it's a large if you say central florida that's a very large span of geography and so there's little pockets of things for sure that are happening but the studio that you founded is uh like it's like nothing i've ever seen so i'm gonna let you, in your words talk about what writer's atelier is yeah uh so we do like you said we do a lot here um wasn't always that way but we uh initially honestly it started as an editing company so it was an editorial strictly company and we did uh pretty much we only edited books uh, and well, not only books, 
because actually I, when I started, I was editing everything under the sun for, <laughs> for practice. Um, I've worked on websites, um, newsletters, um, just about anything you could, you could think about, but, um, really this, the, the structure of it came about after my, I finished my MFA and I was thinking like, what, you know, what could I do to make money <laughs> right now aside from editing me? Cause obviously I was, that was not paying the bills. Um, I was doing that really on a freelance scale work wasn't consistent. And, I, you know, I was really kind of just, you know, beginning that whole business seriously. Um, and then, uh, I thought, okay, why don't I try to apply at a, at the, you know, like a college, a college, I could teach classes and, you know, that would be a way of like giving back to the writing community and I would be able to get paid for it. Well, it turns out that that is actually, there are lots of requirements, uh, for academic positions and it's actually really hard to get a position in academia, even part-time. And, um, I thought, oh, you know what, why don't I just like do this on my own? Like I could just, I could teach these classes on my own. I, I, I've studied creative writing for so long and I could do this. Uh, the problem was it was very difficult to find space. And so, uh, I would, you know, I'd stumble on like renting a conference room somewhere and, you know, I never knew how many people would show up <laughs> to a class. So then I would be out the money. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we had a place where, you know, writers can go and write and not really worry about and like teach writing and not worry about, you know, the cost of the space. And, you know, it would be like this gathering spot for the writing community and they would host events. And it was uh, kind of like if you've ever heard of uh, some of the bigger names like Hugo House, the Loft Literary Center, um, Gotham, Grub Street. I, I thought about those and I'm like, man, we don't have anything like that here. And, and then I, I said, well, maybe I should start something like that. <laughs> and, you know, I could, I, 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 it would be part of the editing company, you know, and, and it would just be like a leg of it, a uh, branch of it. And uh, that, that idea got stuck in my brain. And so when I had decided to teach my, the classes on my own, I didn't know, like, in terms of uh, space and stuff, wasn't really working out. So I stopped doing that. And uh, it, this was in Tampa. And I realized, I always knew in the back of my head I wanted to come back to Orlando, which is my home. And Orlando, I had been watching, had a thriving literary community that, to this day, in my opinion, is still underrated. Um, but I've been following like Borough Press, and um, at the time they had a, they were part of a larger uh, umbrella organization. Well, they still technically are, but they had a physical location that they no longer have. But um, I forget the name of it now. Now that I'm thinking of it, but anyhow, Borough Press was part of, part of this larger thing. Oh, Urban Rethink is the name. And, and I'm like, you know, Orlando has much more of a thriving community than Tampa. And like, this is, you know, that's probably where I'd want to start up this thing, right? The physical part of it. And I came home, I ended up getting a job in academia. <laughs> um, 
at Seminole State College, and which I'm still there. And uh, I thought, okay, so let's see what it would cost to, you know, have a structure. Like, I don't know how much rent rent costs for a commercial use uh, would be, but I'm just going to just casually start looking around at stuff. And the studio that we have now just kind of fell into my lap. Um, I was not expecting to start it when I did. I had nothing in place. Uh, I think I, I paid for the deposit with my income tax <laughs> and uh, just just went in because it was like I, I, I went into the space and I just knew. I said, this is like, this is the beginning. This is the starter space. I, I always knew it wouldn't be permanent, but I, cause I have much bigger plans for the studio, but I went into that space and I just knew this is, this is where we would, this is where we're going to start. And now you host workshops, you host yep. write-ins. Tell, yep. tell our, tell our listeners what write-ins are. So write-ins, those are free events we host every month and we just get together and write. Um, we've turned it into a potluck, and that was uh, based on feedback. People wanted it to be a potluck. So uh, now it's called a potluck write-in, and people bring a dish or a snack to share. And we set – it's two and a half hours long. We set the timer in 20-minute increments, and we write for 20 minutes, take a break, kind of hang out for 10 minutes, then write for 20 minutes, and repeat that all the way till the end of the event. And I like it because it helps writers focus and helps them get work done. Um, we try to do that once a month, and it's just a free event that people can come in and get to know our community and our space. And also, um, it's accessibility is really important to me. So there are writers who can't afford to take workshops or can't afford uh, some of the paid stuff that we do. Uh, and this is just one way we can give back by giving the, you know, t I call it like a, it's like gifting the time because you don't always have time and space as a writer. And so that's kind of how I view it as just, you know, it's a gift back to the community. They can come and, you know, participate regardless of, um, you know, where they're at. Right. And I have to say, when I went to my first write-in, at the studio, I thought, oh, gosh, can I really write with a bunch of people sitting around me? And when I got there, I have to say, uh, I was so productive. I really Yay. wrote the entire, so did everybody else. We all really used that time, and it was so quiet. And once I got past, you know, thinking about, oh, I'm, I'm sitting at a table here with lots of people, I thought I would be inclined to talk and socialize. Uh, but everybody brought headphones and then they just start getting busy and it was really a really productive experience. So you do the write-ins, you do workshops, all kinds of workshops, I have to say. I mean, I'm a member of the studio and I'm every workshop I want to go to there. You've had workshops <laughs> about uh, everything from revising to yes. getting up and reading your stuff out loud. Yep. Uh, yeah. What are some other workshops? Um, we do a lot of work with a literary agent, uh, Saritza Hernandez. And I love her workshops because it's a chance to kind of get in the room with an agent who is approachable because some of them, not to 
not bad talking anybody, but some of them are less approachable than others. And she is just, uh, just like a ray of light in my opinion, um, refreshing. Um, but we work with her closely and she'll do like a 10 pages workshop for us where she'll read, uh, pages and give feedback live at the workshop. Um, and also strategies on how to improve your first pages, things like that. Um, she's doing one coming up on height, being a hybrid author, um, which I love because I love the, I, I love the idea of the hybrid author. It's a whole nother topic, but I like the idea of it because it's really, t- it's really, uh, educating writers on the options that they have. Um, and let's see. When oh, you I'm say hybrid, her- are you talking about writing into genres? Are you hybrid? Hybrid meaning uh, taking advantage of all of your publishing options. So m- what hybrid really means is having your foot in the door of the traditional world on one side and then the other foot in the door of the self-publishing indie world. Um, and it's possible to do both. Um, and I always say that it depends on the book that you're writing, but traditional publishing might be appropriate for one project and then not another. So why not use both to your advantage? Um, if, I don't know if you've ever heard of this writer, her name is Diane Capri and she writes kind of like, um, thriller slash mysteries. And she, I met her at an indie book fest conference and she said, she publishes with Random House, but she makes more money uh, publishing her own books. And she just kind of uses both worlds to her advantage to make her living. Yeah, to really be a working writer. Exactly. And, I, and that's all she has to do. Like, she doesn't do anything else. She only writes. She writes full time. And I thought, I think that is honestly the smart way to go. Why, why limit yourself or pigeonhole yourself? when you have the power to really do both, <laughs> you know, like we're in a, a, a time in publishing where I think we're lucky, you know, we, we are so lucky. I mean, we have so many options and why wouldn't you take advantage of that? And, and I should also say not only does the studio do all these other things, the studio also has a publishing arm. Yeah. Yep. We just started that. Um, technically the first thing we published underneath that arm, uh, we had a, we ran a contest, which it's a yearly contest now. Uh, and we published a short story winner and made it into an ebook. And I decided to extend that into a craft book, um, I guess, imprint, you could call it. Uh, it's all under Writer's Atelier Books, but um, we now publish craft books. And so, um, and pretty much strictly craft books or the, and, and, and the short story winners. So anytime we have our annual contest, we'll publish, we'll make it into an ebook. We don't do print, um, but we don't do print, sorry, for the short stories. Uh, but the craft books, the, they are going to be basically writing books to help, just to help writers. Um, the first in the series was the revision workbook by Ariel Hoy. And uh, that we really, 
I'm really proud of that project just because uh, it's helped so many writers already. And and I uh, have a copy. It, I think it's a great, it's a great resource. Oh, yay. Thank you. Yeah, y'all did a great job with that. Thank you. Um, we, uh, Ariel and I coach together in, uh, we have an, an online accountability program called The Right Gym. And we coached together and we were finding that we could get writers to the draft phase. Like we could get them finishing drafts, but so many writers shut down when they hit uh, the revision stage. And it's because it's a intimidating, uh, but it's uh, lots of writers don't kind of don't know where to start. Um, and, you know, being a writer myself, I remember those days. Um, so we said, why don't we try and, put together a resource that can help writers because not everyone can afford to hire a coach. This will be something that people can kind of just purchase and help, uh, help guide them and will help guide them through the revision process, kind of give them a place to start. Uh, and we tried to like really be as comprehensive as possible, you know, put in as much as we could to help. And that's, that's kind of how it happened. Um, and it's, Lots of writers are giving us good feedback and telling us that it's helped them. And we even have had some teachers use it. So that's been good. And yeah, we're just, we're really excited about it. And we have some more in the works. Um, so it's the first, kind of the first or the start of something exciting and we're looking forward to it. Well, and to add to the list of what the studio also does is, because I'm a member of the studio, so I, I'm one of the yes. lucky people that is on the receiving end of <laughs> newsletters. I get uh, videos, inspirational videos, yeah. where you guys are really uh, out there trying to inspire writers and keep them pepped up. And uh, always there's always something interesting coming out of the studio. And that's why I say I think it's really unique, because it's a space to write. It's a place where uh, people can learn to write and mm -hmm. you're nurturing the careers of writers in this community. And so yeah. that's really an amazing thing. It's really unique. Yeah. Thanks. Um, uh, so all of that stuff that you just mentioned is part of our, um, that's part of our, initiative to be uh accessible um all of the things we put out a lot of well not all of them but a lot of the things we put out online like on the blog and the videos that you see on our youtube channel the motivational ones and really everything those are free content um we try to do the free stuff so that there's something for everyone offered uh because I, I, I understand it's hard being a writer and trying to make ends meet. And I just, I want to be able to help as many people as possible. So yeah. And which you do, you do a very good job of that. It's a really welcoming environment and it's uh it's an amazing resource in this community. And so I, I, I really wanted to feature you because I thought, I just think that there's so many writers out there that might, uh, start to see how they can write and give back at the same time because really uh, what you're doing if you step back and look at it I always saw 
the studio is really uh, service leadership in action where you've got somebody at the core here who is a writer and you're working on your writing career yourself. You're a full-time, you're teaching full-time, you're uh, editing professionally. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, the studio also offers professional editing services and, and that is really nurturing these careers of uh, writers who want to seek publication. Um, but you're, you're, all this free stuff that you're doing, you're really bringing people along with you as you're yeah. growing in your career. And it's, you're not waiting to say, oh, when I have the big book deal and I'm got all these, all the ducks in a row, then I'll, you know, I'll start giving back. You've been giving back since day one, which is really amazing. And so it's uh, really like a resource I've never seen. And I, it's really commendable what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Francis. Yeah, it's more than just a work. It's more than a studio. It's, uh, it's a it's a resource. It's amazing. I also think you know, I'm big on mindset work, and that's that's like kind of something we use to set ourselves apart. Because I think a lot of people aren't talking about the mind, you know, mindset things for writers. And I, you know, I think we've been kind of like society tells us things. Like the, the the thought I had about not making any money as a writer, uh, I think society tells us these things and they get rooted, you know, in in our brains and we let it affect how we proceed. And the reality is, is that I think any writer can make it and can be successful and can write full time and can really do whatever they want to, but they just have to believe it first. And that's something I've discovered, which is why I'm big on mindset, because at the root of everything is your mindset. If you think you can't do something, then you can't. If you think you can, then you can. And it's literally that simple. Uh, You have to believe it first, but if you don't believe it, then it's going to sort of create all of these... Um, almost like a, a domino effect, right? It's like, and it's even like laying the foundation of a house, right? If you don't lay the foundation accordingly or appropriately, then the rest of the structure is going to crumble. And so at the baseline is mindset and getting yourself to believe that it's possible first, because it is. And I mean, we can look at books that have come out in all in all kinds of publishing platforms, right? So like traditionally self self published, all of that, right? And there there are always going to be bad books. It doesn't matter if you're traditionally published or self published. There are always going to be bad books. Uh, and the thing is, it's like bad books actually can sell too. I'm not condoning producing a bad book. Absolutely not. <laughs> However, I'm saying for those authors, the difference is literally only the belief, the belief that they could actually do it. That's literally the only thing separating it. And, uh, and also um, resilience, right? So like continuing on, like not giving up. Keep, uh, when, when you keep going, even though it feels like you should give up, those are like the only two things that, that, separate the published from the not published right correct um so my 
uh, mission is always to kind of try to help writers not only uh, produce the best possible product, but also work on the mindset. Um, because that's the, that's the foundation. If you don't have the mindset, it's going to continue your, your, uh, belief system and your career and all of that stuff. It's going to continue to kind of be this domino effect where it falls repeatedly. And it's because you didn't put the time into the mindset work. Right. Um, I, this is like, it, I could get totally like woo woo and philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good place to transition over into an upcoming project that you're in the midst of uh, working on as yeah. it relates to mindset work is you have a, a cool project coming up. Yeah. So we, um, uh, it's, so this idea has just been on my chest for like a good year and a half, to be honest. Um, and I have like probably 22 episodes already written um, called uh, it's and it's a podcast called the, the Right Mindset, which focuses on teaching writers about the mindset part of things, and not just like getting you know a proper mindset in place for the the career, um, but also the personal side of it. How important it is to like really take care of your brain because it literally is the most valuable thing that you can possess. Um, like I said, I, I'm trying not to, to get into my like very, what people would call woo woo um, <laughs> stage of all of this, but that, because that's, that uh, it sounds like that, but it's, it's, it's deeper than that. Um, once you start realizing that the brain is your most valuable possession, uh, you will, learn, um, to kind of see where I'm going. You, you would, you will understand what I'm talking about, but, um, I follow this, uh, uh, life coach. Her name is Brooke Castillo. And she actually is like very, like heavily responsible for, even though she probably doesn't know it, she's responsible for teaching me about mindset work. Um, and, and one thing that she mentions is that, you know, you can make a lot of money doing what you love, um, but if someone said, we're going to take all of this money away. So like, let's say you're become, you become a successful writer and someone says, I'm going to wipe your account clean and you have to start over. What are you going to do? And what will you use to start over your brain? Right. You, if you think about it, money can be replaced, right? It can, it can, it can always be replaced. Um, but you have to take care of your brain because that's something that's way more precious. And that's actually the thing that makes you the money, right? Like you have to use that to make the money, which is why it's important to take care of it. Um, and anyway, it, it, I get, I could get really deep on that, but that's, <laughs> that's but basically all, all of this is, is going to be coming out in the fall in a podcast. Yes. Okay. Well, yes, I'm trying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> No, no, it'll happen uh, because uh, yeah. everything you set your mind to, Raquel, it happens. And this is why <laughs> you might say woo-woo, but the bottom line is, is you're somebody who edits professionally. You're reading hundreds of essays a month as a teacher. You are uh, critiquing all kinds of uh, genres, uh, 
every month this is what you do full time you see this it's it's the, the the work is coming across your desk constantly so you would be the perfect person to really weigh in on what is really separating what's getting published from what's not getting published it's mm-hmm. it's not just the quality of the work but it starts with somebody who believes they should be doing this and this is what they're going to do and this is what they're going to make happen and yeah i think and I- and like I said, you know, I tried, I studied, I studied writers for so many years and it's, I don't want to sound like a creep, but the people who come into the studio, I observe, I'm always listening. And that is honestly the root of it, the mindset. And I hear so many writers say bad things to themselves, just terrible things and like talk about their work in negative ways. And I just, I, I just want, I want to just take them under my wing and say, listen, stop talking. Every, every cell in your body is listening to the thoughts that you're saying. Every cell. And it, and, and your thoughts affect the rest of your, your body. And again, woo-woo. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, is the re- that is the truth. Um, and you can look at it. You can, you can look at it. And, and it's not that mindset work is just something I say this all the time. You don't have to, you can't just snap your fingers and, and think, Hey, I have a positive mindset now. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Um, it is something you have to continuously work on and self doubt will always be there. Uh, imposter syndrome will always be there. It's all part of mindset. You have to work on it on a daily basis. Um, that's the reason why I, I, I made like a little affirmations book for writers. And the reason I made that someone said, someone gave it a review. It wasn't a bad review. It just was like, I wish it were longer because it felt more like a calendar. And I laughed and I said, well, that's kind of how it was meant to be because the affirmations in the book are things you're supposed to repeat regularly to yourself. You don't just repeat them one time and think, wow, I've got this down. Like I am positive. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, it's constant. (laughs) You have to constantly work on your brain and your mindset because if you don't, then you are going to find yourself slipping into those phases of being negative or, you know, thinking you're not worthy or thinking your work isn't good enough and letting fear stop you from doing things. You have to work on it daily. That's awesome. And one other thing I want to mention that the studio is also producing that's near and dear to your heart is the literary journal. Uh, uh, your studio publishes uh, Black Fox Literary Journal, which is uh, includes fiction, poetry, art. There's visual art yes. in there. Nonfiction, too. And nonfiction. So, yes, we do fiction, poetry, nonfiction, and then art. Uh, we haven't really done any art within. We used to, um, but we stopped doing that just because, like, printing-wise, it just wasn't working out. Uh, but we do take art for the cover. And I would, I just want to mention that Black Fox is separate from the studio. And that is because I have, uh, so I have two business partners with the magazine. They're my critique partners. Um, Pam Harris and Marquita Hockaday. And we actually started the journal at while we were at Fairley Dickinson. Um, yeah, we, so Black Fox is older than the studio. And um, if I am correct, I think uh, we just passed 
our nine-year mark uh, this summer. And we initially started it. Honestly, it's a labor of love. It's uh, we, We're not trying to make any money on it. Um, the money that we receive for the magazine, we just put straight back into it. Uh, and it allows us to do things like uh, host a website, um, pay for things like submittable and um, uh, email service and uh, allows us to go to AWP each year. And that's really it. Um, we love doing it because we always wanted to just kind of be a, a little bit of a platform for writers, like help them get a leg up. Uh, we were actually readers for our MFA programs magazine, uh, TLR, the Literary Review. And fantastic publication. It's honestly a great magazine. Um, but the... <sighs> we were finding that some of the things we liked, they were not liking. <laughs> They're looking for a very specific kind of writing. And we were like, man, wouldn't it be great if we could find just like any kind of writing, like any genre, it didn't matter what your genre was or the category that you're writing in. We would just publish what we felt was good work. And all of that could be in one place. And so we thought, let's just let's just start a literary magazine. And it's been successful. <laughs> so, yeah, we 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 started Black Fox and, you know, here we are, you know, years later, however many years later. Um, I love just I just like doing it. Honestly, it's not none of us get paid, but we just do it. You're pursuing many things in your life out of your passions and. That's amazing. It's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm and I'm lucky I get to know you. Oh, I just think you, you you just uh, are really a a light in in the community. You're a light everywhere you go, and so Aww. we're lucky to have you. Thanks, um, Francis. Well, as we're <laughs> wrapping this up, I just uh, wanted to uh, ask you for aspiring writers out there. Uh, you've given so much advice already just on this podcast, but. Um, what are just some just some tips that you would give to somebody who is uh, afraid of that blank page? <laughs> uh, just start. <laughs> um, I was talking to someone at the library the other day, and she mostly blogs. I'm not going to call her out because uh, I don't want, you know, just in case she doesn't want this public, but she mostly blogs. She loves books. And uh, I said, you you don't have any aspirations. Like you don't want to do any kind of writing because you'd like read so much. You love authors. You want to help them. Um, you don't have any, you know, aspirations to write. And she said, she'd always been telling me no, because I ask her this question all the time. She'd always been telling me no. And she said, you know, I don't know where I would even start. So that gave me an indication that, you know, she was one of those people who, might potentially be a closet writer uh, and is just denying it like so many of us do. Um, and so I said, just start. I, and I'm like, you've read countless, countless books. Like 
over and over. I'm sure you have some inclination as to, and, you, and she writes reviews, you have some inclination as to what makes a good story. And I told her, and I'm like, the thing is, is if you don't start, you can't really progress or fix anything. Just write it. Open up the blank page. Don't be intimidated by it. You know, use it as a um, more like an adventure. You know, just start writing, and then you can always get help to tweak it later or to fix it. Um, and my other piece of advice is to focus on progress and not perfection. I am somebody who actually struggles with it, even though I'm preaching this, <laughs> but. And all of us do, but focusing on just moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other, taking it one day at a time. Um, there was a famous author who said one word and then another, and then another. I don't remember who it was, but there's a quote that goes something like that, where you, you just write one word and then you write another. And that's really it. That's all it comes down to. Um, don't worry about getting it perfect on the first try because nobody does. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? See it as an adventure. I like that. That's good advice. Yeah. Well, I want to mention also to our listeners that we will have links on our Facebook page to uh, Writers Atelier Studio and Black Fox Literary Journal and all the things that we've mentioned in the podcast. You can go to our Facebook page and we'll have links um, to all these things we've mentioned. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Raquel, for taking the sure. time to talk to us and share like you are always doing sharing and giving back and uh, of course we're all better for it so thank you absolutely i'm happy to help in any way i can thank you raquel thank you for listening to the writer's constellation written produced and hosted by francis Susanna neville audio producer emmanuel elliott the writer's constellation theme music is composed by isaac barzo all show notes and links mentioned in this episode can be found on our Facebook page. We are the Writer's Constellation on all platforms. Thank you for listening and remember, what connects the light tells the story.